Blog Talk Radio. JJ, Kyle, Graham, and I believe Joseph's here too. And I guess we should first say congratulations to the Junior Red Wings for winning their third Stanley Cup in six years. Uh, just like the franchise they always wish they were. So how are you guys? I haven't got my delicious. How is everybody? I'm, how are you feeling? I'm okay. I was. I was, uh, I mean, I was probably the only person out of the entire Wing Motown crew cheering for Chicago uh, just because I don't want to see Steve Eisenman win a Stanley Cup with any team aside from the Red Wings. And I want to see a team with the Red Wings model win a Stanley Cup because the Red Wings model is the best model. But the model is... Uh tanking, though. So should the Wings tank? Maybe it's the Black Ark model now. I don't give a shit. Do whatever you gotta do. <laughs> Just win more. Well, I can tell you from, uh, I will be avoiding Facebook for <laughs> the next week, at least. You know the funny thing? I realized something after Game 5. I don't have any actual animosity towards the Chicago Blackhawks as a team. I probably should, because they were rivals of the Red Wings and Blah, blah, blah. I realized if I didn't live here, I would not care that much about the Hawks winning. Because I could just ignore it at that point. They, oh, they won great. I have to, I'm surrounded by it and I will be surrounded by it for the next week at least until the parade. Hey, does anyone have their TV on in the background? With the volume on? Yes, now it's gone. Apparently <laughs> not. Apparently not anymore. No, I don't know. I'm getting some feedback, but... Oh, well. Whatever. Yeah, me too. Hi. Hi. So, whatever. Uh, they never yeah, went back to back. Yeah, I want to hate the Hawks, um, but... Whatever. I was... I think I hate the most, like, oh, this is the the hardest dynasty ever because of the cap era. I just think that that's such a such horseshit. 
like congratulations you lucked into having like the perfect draft choices and then you managed it well um i don't think that's necessarily any easier than what the red wings had to do just because there's a salary cap um i don't think it's it's any harder if you've got cuz Taves and Kane their uh 10 million dollar salaries don't even start till next year if there were no salary mm-hmm. cap Although Chicago probably would have spent that anyway, but still. I don't know. They did what every Stanley Cup team did. They they developed a core. They built smartly around the core. The fact that they did it in a salary cap era, I don't think makes a huge difference because you still have to make the smart choices. So, yeah. you know, and, they, and they've been extremely lucky in that their core players have not gotten significantly hurt most of the time. Kane, I think this year was the exception. And he came back early. So, whatever. Who cares? Let's talk about the Red Wings. Yeah. Please. This shit. Well, speaking about hey. the Red Wings. Go for it, Jeff. Uh, they have a new coach. Is he really new, though? He is. His name isn't Mike Babcock. He has a much better name. Much, much better <laughs> Name is Jack. Uh, it's a much more household. Yeah, J names are pretty name. cool. Uh, he is the 27th head coach in Red Wings history. So, so I ask you guys, what does this mean for Detroit? Coming off quote the best coach in hockey, he is now gone to Toronto for a billion dollars, and we have some scrub from the miners. <laughs> um, <laughs> at least you might lose Jack Adams. <laughs> I don't know. I guess, uh, honestly, out of all the candidates that were available, which, I mean, this is a list was pretty thin. Um, I think I, I mean, I, I know that I wanted him the most. Uh, Hill, I mean, I've quoted it a hundred times. Uh, I mean, the guy has his fingerprints all over the organization. Um, I don't know. I just, uh, I know that it's not going to be, like, I know that he's not going to jump in and it's going to be Stanley Cup, like, right off the bat. I mean, maybe, no. But anyway, um, I know that it's definitely a step in the right direction, especially over the last few years when, you know, we've heard all of these weird reports about how players just weren't happy about Mike Babcock as a coach and, that little tidbit uh, from Cena saying that uh, Zetterberg's not going to be naming his kid Mike, you know, stuff, little, little, little stuff like well, that. Well, what was um, the the Malik had the translated Tatar interview where he was just like, "Yeah, Babcock sucks." Did he said it was very poorly translated. Uh, <laughs> No, That's what Tatar, an anti-diplomatic is, as he was being you. Tatar basically... He had uh, a shelf life. Yeah, right, he said he, it was a shelf life. It was as nice as you could say of the message getting stale or we were all tired of him or fuck that guy. It is fu- It is I mean, a little bit funny, though, coming from Tatar, I mean, who, what, played two and a half years under Babcock? I mean, two yeah, and like a quarter, maybe. But is Tatar going to be okay? Because tell me that this is not Mike Babcock's voice. Here's a, a clip from Blashill. Coaches ultimately are refre- a reflection of their players. And I've been real 
fortunate in my time to be able to coach uh, great people and great players. And just represented by the captains of those teams I've coached, Brent Gwitt and uh, Nick Balin with the Indiana Ice, Ian Slater uh, at Western Michigan, and then for the last three years I've had a special group of guys um, with... That's, uh, that's Badcock's voice. I don't think, yeah, I think that cut off early. But anyways, yeah, I mean, it's pretty clear that he's a, uh, he's definitely a Babcock mini. As, I mean, his system is somewhat similar. You know, obviously it's the AHL. Uh, I think things are going to change, obviously. Um, you know, I think as soon as uh, Babcock left town, we all knew who was going to be the head coach. There was no question. Um, and, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, I think the best, uh, the best way to think about it is that it's a new, it's a fresh new, like, uh, I don't know, it's like wiping the slate clean almost, but at the same time, it's kind of keeping that, that same infrastructure that that talk had. Um, but like I said, um, you know, the players are obviously going to be the same. Uh, you, you still have that same veteran core. You still have that same core of youth. Um, I, and I think I honestly think that Blashill is going to change his system because he is ultimately coaching a different, vastly different style of hockey now. Yeah, this to me this feels like 06 all over again where it was. The, the the previous era had kind of started to fizzle out. There were some playoff disappointments. The older, the, the veteran players were kind of on their way out. They were pretty much close to done, and it was time to turn the team over to the next group. And, uh, you know, at that point it was Dave Lewis because Bowman had stepped down. But they brought in this, this young players coach who had won in, you know, in every level he'd ever been in, and he was he had taken the, the Ducks to the finals, you know, an under, not an underachieving team, an under-talented team, take them all the way to the finals. And, you know, it was just the right guy at the right time. It feels exactly like that now. The older players yeah. are, are close to done. It, Babcock himself said it. It's, you know, and Holland has said it. It's time to turn the team over. The, the young guys have to step up and take more, uh, more of a leadership role, more of a contributing role. Dasuk and Zetterberg can't be your – your only contributors offensively over the course of a, an entire season and a playoff season, and it was—it's time to bring in that new voice and, tra- and and actually really signify the transition to the next stage of the franchise. So, the fact that a lot of these guys have played for Blashill, and everything I've ever read has said that the players liked him. Like it wasn't even that they just liked playing for him. They just they just genuinely liked him. Um I think it's gonna be good. I think it's gonna inject some some energy into the just the entire organization next year because it's it's new. Everything's new. Right. No, yeah, it is new. It's like kinda like uh I don't know, waking up in the morning uh, for your for your your shitty nine to five job that you're not very happy about, and uh, drinking a nice big old cup of coffee for a five hour energy. You know what I mean? Just uh, 
you know, something that really no, I love my start. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully it uh, lasts longer than five hours, but you know what I mean. Right. So how long before the uh, Hawks uh, retire Timonen's number? Uh, who? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so sticking with the whole Blash Hill theme here, and I know, Kyle, you've spoken a lot already, but you've seen more of the Griffins than the rest of us. And, JJ, I know you you know some things. You worked with Michelle on a post just comparing the, the differences between Blash Hill style and, and Babcock style, especially when it comes to his usage of defensemen. I mean, can either of you just speak to those of us or those out there listening who just don't know what 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 are the different things we can can expect XOs X's and O's wise with with the new coach. JJ, you go first. Um, you know that goal that Keith scored, the game winner tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Or he was below the circles. Yes. In the slot. Yeah. Um, Chasing his own Marshall likes Marshall likes more of that. Yeah. He will allow more um, of that. Uh, that is yeah, the, the he, number one biggest difference. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think that uh, Babcock was a very, um, I don't know, he liked to see his defenseman kind of stay at home uh, in a way, uh, kind of man the blue line, whereas uh, Blashill kind of has that tendency to activate his defensemen when they're, um, you know, setting up in the uh, the offensive zone. Um I don't know if Babcock doesn't really, if it was more of a, oh, I just don't trust my shitty defenseman and I don't, you know, whatever, because uh, everybody's not fucking lid-strumming, just can't score from the blue line. Um, I think that uh, Blashill will definitely um, allow his defenseman a little bit more, um, let's say creativity. Uh, yeah, that's a good way to put it, creativity. Um, and he'll allow them to get to get active and basically just uh, get up there and uh, take those risky plays. Uh, and the biggest thing is that does Detroit have any defensemen that that can do that and not completely, you know, just blow it? You know, because I was going to say it right now. It's, I was going to say, yeah, Brennan, I'm but thinking, then you said completely blow of, it and. I lost you. Well, I'm thinking of well, I'm thinking of Brendan Smith just trancing up into the zone and trying to throw a puck in, and it does a re and you know it rebounds like how it did on Keith's goal, and he just well, doesn't just catch it and jumping up too, like well, in the I zone. Know, but but I, they I, also they jump up on the rush more, and I think that uh, Blashill's defensemen, uh, I mean, just from what I've seen. They tend to they do give up the offensive blue line a little bit easier, but that lets them pressure at the defensive blue line a little bit faster. Uh, I think one of the problems that Babcock's team had was that the defensemen um, were a little bit more aggressive on the uh, the offensive side of center, uh, right? Because they had to back check the forwards, and in cases like that, they would take them a little bit longer to start backing off, and uh, you'd see as a result that the Red Wings defensemen would almost never get to a dumped-in puck uh, cleanly first. Mm-hmm. I mean, they'd get there first, but there would there'd be no room. The four-checker would already be on them, and you're already looking at a board battle, and it just takes away that, that extra split second to move the puck up ice and start the transition the other way. And 
Right. And you get into the slog of having to keep the uh, opponent to the outside for, for 30, 40 second shifts at a time, um, praying mm-hmm. that they don't get a shot to the slot. Now, Babcock's defense did a really good job of keeping teams to the outside for those those long shifts. I mean, they're they're dreadful to watch, and they're they're fucking terrifying the entire time you're watching it, but they did a really good job of protecting the slot. Um, just seeing the Griffins uh, do that, they did allow more of those kind of inside shots, um, but also I think that, I, I think that might have been a, a talent thing, too. Um, yeah. And they're but I think their transition was a little bit better too. I mean, they they both tend to fly a winger out of the zone first, um, especially with with Polkin and he was uh, he cherry picked yeah, a lot. Yeah, that's very They uh, they hit him with passes really well, and that's that's one of the things we didn't we haven't seen a lot with the Red Wings. Well, and you right. you mentioned Polkin and and a little bit of transition here from defense to offense. Part of the excitement with Blashill is among the fan base is kind of the fact that he's worked with a lot of the prospects and the kids who are currently on the Red Wings roster and, and he, they succeeded under him. Whether they won the Calder right. or just Polkin and scored a shit ton of goals. Are, do we actually, is he going to kind of stick to Babcock's method or, or are we actually going to see Polkin and used? more properly on the power play, let's say? Or is Yurko going to be stuck on the fourth line, or is he going to get a shot to, to, to play top-line minutes or in a top-six role or a more offense, offensive role where he can succeed? Should we expect to see things differently as far as the usage of players? Are we still going to have the you 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 got the two scoring players in your abdicator. You had the helm with Tatar and 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 Datsuk. You your grinder with your your two skill guys type deal. We, are we going to see that trend continue, or is it just who the fuck knows? Well, and yeah, the thing keep is, on. I think yeah, I think it's going to keep on going because Blashill did pretty much almost the same thing uh, in in Grand Rapids. Uh, I mean, Polkinen played a lot of time with. Uh, was it Hogan and Zangerle? Um, you know, two Hogan guys. Hogan and Zangerle, Hogan and Nosek. Yeah, I mean Nosek is a you know he's a playmaker, but um, you know Zangerle um, and Hogan, those are two grinder style players. Um, and you know it it, it worked, but uh, I think we'll still see that. But what I definitely think we aren't going to see, and I think this is a big thing, is a huge change in um, deployment. Um, we're not going to see the, the fourth line matchups against the second and first line, I don't think, I hope. Um, that just doesn't seem very... Um, no more Glendening versus Stamkos? I don't think we're going to... Yeah, I don't think I, yeah, I don't think we're going to see that. Um, I could be wrong, but um, uh, I think that also we're going to... You know, a guy like Thomas Yerko, I while I think that he might still see some time on the fourth line, I think that he's going to he's going to end up somewhere else, um, and that's not in the press box. Um, Is it on another team? I, I mean, if it may, if it makes if it makes us if it and if it makes us better, fine. I don't give a shit. But um, Yerko is a natural playmaker. That's what he needs to be doing, um, and you know he spent a lot of time on the fourth line last season, um, and he learned the ways there. He learned how to be physical. He learned how to battle. Great, I'm so happy for him. That's good, but it's time for him to start learning how to uh, 
to make plays at the NHL level. He needs to learn how to be that Marion Hosa type player. Um, and uh, he's and he not did. going to do that. He's not going to do that on the fourth line this year. Like, that's not going to happen. He needs to be and with I better players. I think the hope players. with Flash, though, is that what's going to happen is not necessarily that Yurko is going to find himself, like, magically transported off the fourth line, but rather that Jeff Blasio's coaching is going to have an effect on Yurko so that he is going to actually earn his way off of that. Because either way, yeah, he's going to have to sure. earn his way mm-hmm. up into the lineup and, and up into more time. Um, but, yeah, I think there's there's this, this thought that Blasio, by what he does, um, is mm-hmm. going to uh, is going to get that out of him. Not that... Right. Although I, I do mm-hmm. think that this last season spent on grinding away on the fourth line uh, really was part of of a, a teaching, a specific teaching. Yeah, no, Yorker, like I said, sure. to get him uh, to get him to play more like Marion Hosa, the the big physical back checker and and the real aggressive guy. And I think that he did a really good job of that. All he needs to do is find a scoring touch, and all he needs to do for that is to stop sh- fucking shooting at two percent. Um, mm-hmm. Do that, and then he's going to have a good year. My my hope is, as somebody who doesn't know Blashill's tendencies a lot, my hope is that when you're talking about guys like Yurko and uh, Polkinen and, and guys like that, it's that when they get to training camp, he kind of goes in with more of an open mind and doesn't have set spot in mind. Like the tie goes to the veteran. Right, Babcock was in was in place for so long. He knew the players. He knew what they could do. When the young guys came up, he was inserting those players into into a lineup that he had already set in his mind because he, you know, he had playing in in certain roles. I'm hoping that Blasha will come in, and if Yurko has a great camp and a great preseason and earns his way onto second line, he gets some second line minutes. See what he can do. Um, you know, I, I want I want Blashill to play the best players in the right situations. Not, right. Not, I don't want to see Luke Lindenning be the uh, even-strength ice-time leader midway through the season for the Red Wings because then something's wrong. Right. So that's what I hope. But for, for, you know, to, we're talking about Yurko specifically, but Lakota Polkinen, I mean, it's a big thing. Like, Polkinen scored a lot of goals under Blasio, so maybe he knows how to use them. Maybe he doesn't put them you know, in the slot on the on the side on a power play, maybe he puts him in the middle where he can actually do some damage or puts him on the point where he might have some time to take a shot, something. Um, but that's what I just want to see. Is just I want to see how he deploys the the bottom six forwards specifically. Yeah, and one thing that uh, I didn't mention in the, the differences, similarities and issue is we didn't see it so much in the last uh, couple of years with, with Babcock and the line blender, uh, but Blashill was blending pretty aggressively in the, the conference finals against Utica, and I think that he's going to – I think he, he continues to do that. I think that he's, a, he's more of a line blender like Babcock was a few years ago, which I'm totally okay I don't, with. Yeah, I don't mind that. I mean, if, it, if, it's, if it's working, obviously you don't – if it's not – working, then why wouldn't you switch things up? And I don't think there's anything wrong with doing it in the middle of a game. 
because I think, honestly, I think it keeps the players a little bit on their toes because maybe it sends a subtle message of, hey, you've earned your way up to play with Pavel Dabsuk or Henrik Federberg. Hey, you are playing with Pavel Dabsuk and you look like dog shit out there, so now you get to go play with um, Dan Cleary. I'm going to say Dan Cleary. That's too easy of a segue there, though. Uh, Joseph, you're allowed to talk, by the way. Just want to let you know that. Yeah, I know. You could just interrupt, too. No one will be offended. Hey, Jeff. I just interrupted. There you go. Do you have anything to add on Blashill? (laughs) Not really. You guys covered it pretty thoroughly. Offense, defense, deployment, line blender. Yeah. Well, Joseph, how do you feel about the idea of Granado returning and, and being an assistant under Blashill and possibly, you know, you keep the, the veteran guy who's been in the league for a while as one assistant and then the new head coach brings up a new assistant in Chris Chelios. What, what are your thoughts? I think the potential, potentially bringing Chelios on is interesting. Uh, we talked last time about how Blashill was most likely going to have at least one of his assistants as a guy who already had NHL experience just to show, maybe, maybe not necessarily show him the ropes, but give him a give him a pulse on what the rest of the league is like. And, you know, Blashill, talk, the entire organization talks about being an everydayer. And so what's being an NHL head coach like every single day versus the AHL where you're – you're the head. You're the head guy in charge of a hockey team instead of being totally. Like, nah, I'm trying to find the words. So you're totally at the mercy of your parent club and your personnel, and and what you what could happen on any given day. I just, I think there's a nice sense of stability in a guy like Chelios, a guy who's been with the organization for a really long time, and who also played with some of the guys that are on the team, believe it or not. Datsuk, Zetterberg, Cronwell, right? Cleary? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. One thing that, that when Chelios' name popped up that intrigued me is I just remember when he when he first retired and he was kind of doing, like, front office stuff and then he was kind of like, screw this, and he, like, wants to be on the ice and he wants to be working with the players. And I just... I can't think of a negative thing about having a guy like Chris Chelios who did so well in this league and played for so long and all that experience is having him on the ice every practice, working with dumbasses like Brendan Smith and, and, and <laughs> shitty players like Cronwall, or not Cronwall, excuse me, Kindle, and, and if they're still around, helping to mold them into better NHL defensemen. And, I mean, obviously, he could make all of them better. But I, I just – that intrigues me is seeing, you know, what he can bring to them on the ice and, and, and the physical part of the game and all that. So I, that was the first thing that I thought of when Chelios' name popped up. Yep. I'm just trying to imagine Chelios behaving himself behind the bench, like wearing a, a coat and tie. Like, it just doesn't seem natural <laughs> to me. He's very nothing, seen, but that's what makes it so awesome. Have you ever seen the movie Necessary Roughness with Scott Bakula? Jeff, yeah. I know you haven't, but yeah. anybody else? Yeah, I saw it a long okay, time ago. That's a football movie. Whatever shit happens. There's an old respected coach and this like 
young hothead, def- hothead defensive coach. The old coach uh, has to go to the hospital, so the young coach has to take over, and he, like, shows up wearing this buttoned-up, like, shirt and tie. And, like, at halftime, they're getting their asses kicked, and he just, like, he freaks the fuck out and rips the tie off. This whole goddamn thing isn't working for me. That's what I imagine Chelios doing, just at some point just ripping his tie off, well, perhaps jumping over the bench and assaulting a linesman with it. And he's probably got a cooler and beer and whatever side of the bench he's standing on. Yeah, probably that too. I don't I don't know if Chelios is a good coach, but he, he's highly respected within the Red Wings brass, and I, he, I, I highly respect him. Um, I'm excited for it. And I really do want Granado back. I think that he did a really good job with the way the penalty kill worked last year. I still think that they're not aggressive enough uh, to go attacking, looking for shorthanded goals. But uh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe Blasio will make them do that more. Yeah, Granado worked last year. So, I mean, some sense of continuity would not be a bad thing for the dressing room either. You know, if you have one guy who was a part of an area that was actually really successful for the most part last year, and you kind of keep him, and then you bring in the two new guys. And honestly, Chelios played. I mean, he fucking played with some of these guys. That's right. really weird. Um, I think Chelios is respected enough within the dressing room by uh, certainly the older players who actually played with him, and then the younger guys who, you know, been around long enough. I think it would be an yeah. interesting. It would be an interesting trio to watch. The thing I think about is that. Coming from what what do we have? We had Hiller, Babcock, uh, and Granado, and now we could potentially have Blashill, Granado, um, Chelios. Um, I'm not mad about that. I think that's great. Uh, I actually loved Granado while he was here. You know, obviously he's an assistant coach. You don't hear much from him. But uh, his work on the penalty kill obviously showed, especially earlier on in the year when they were just so damn dominant. Um, <clears throat> and then, uh, uh, you know, Chelios, is, it's one of those things where it's like, you don't know what he's going to be like as an assistant coach, but he's been a part of the organization for so long uh, in the front office. Um, it's another guy who has his fingerprints all over the uh, – organization uh you know he's always been a guy who's been like back and forth with Grand Rapids obviously he had you know he goes and participates at camp whether it's prospect development camp or it's the main camp um it's another guy that I think that the core of youth in this team not only and, and obviously the uh the veteran core um that players will respect him and players will uh you know um be be happy because, I mean, obviously with the new coaching regime, um, the system is a huge part of it. But obviously, um, if you take a look around uh, the league, um, there's a lot of situations where players just don't fucking want to play for a certain coach. Um, I mean, number one example, uh, you know, Randy Carlisle. Nobody fucking liked that guy. Um uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that the Red Wings are the Toronto Maple Leafs by any means, but um, uh, I think that it definitely does go a long way that they could possibly have a guy like Chelios and a guy like Blashill, who everybody seems to just adore, um, possibly, you know, taking it on. And, and you know, I think it, I think it could be a, a 
a beautiful thing. Well, speaking of beautiful things, uh, there yeah. was some reports and rumors that uh, and some comments made the past week or so about a beautiful man named Daniel Danny Dan Cleary and his potential return to the Red Wings. Uh, I know yeah. how happy we are, and many people are about this, and I just wanted to open the floor and get JJ's thoughts on <laughs> the inevitable return of Dan Cleary. Can I go next? Fuck you. That's good radio. All right. Seriously, though. Is anybody going to argue for Dan Cleary returning to the Red Wings? Like Zapcott? I have seen (laughs) some people. There was one person on Reddit who was like, oh, he's, he's really good in the locker room, which... I covered in my post, but don't mm-hmm. expect redditors to actually read. Um, you know, uh, or trust in, in Ken Holland. He knows what he's doing, which, sure, mm-hmm. whatever. Or there's always yeah, the well, um, the 14th forward is just taking up space. He's not – he's going to be there so that some kid from Grand Rapids can actually get playing time, play every night in Grand Rapids. Um I mean, all those those arguments, uh, the same shit from last year, is are still there. The difference is that Dan Cleary uh, is he had a chance last year to prove he could still play hockey at the NHL level, and he failed. Um, everything good that Dan Cleary brings, because he's well liked in the locker room, he's well respected, he loves being on the ice. The the guys love him. Uh, apparently, he's swinging the hammer. Um, none of that shit is necessary. Uh, for for a guy taking up a, a roster spot or any cap space or any of the fifty contract limits, uh, Dan Cleary, if he's if he's that well liked and respected and he's that valuable in the locker room, then give him a goddamn coaching position and and send him on his way. Um, he's just he's not a good right. enough player, and the Red Wings have way too many forwards for it to be necessary to to give him that that last retirement tour. I guess, like I said, if if you want to give him a chance, then you give him a two-way contract, you tell him to show up in, in camp, and give him an honest chance of, of actually earning a roster spot because if Dan Cleary is one of the 14 most valuable forwards for the Red Wings coming out of camp, then you've got to make some real fucking moves to to get this team better because uh, that's not going to happen. Right. And if he doesn't earn the, earn the spot out of camp, you put him on waivers to say you're going to go to Grand Rapids, you're going to be a great guy in that locker room, and you're going to help the kids down there develop, and you're actually going to get some playing time down there because they can actually use you in the at the AHL level, because I'm sure he could still do that. Um, and then right. if he doesn't want to do that, then he can retire, and he can immediately take that that job where he gets to hang around in the Red Wings locker room. Or he can take his fucking ass to Philly with, the, with his heart and loyalty and all that shit. Because at right. this point... Dan Cleary, if it's going to be a, con- a question of loyalty, honestly, at this point, he should be loyal enough to the to the organization to recognize that he's not being helpful. I don't blame the guy if he yeah. wants to sign a contract or if Ken Holland is going to give him one. It's not his fault, but because I, I would do the same thing, 
Um, but yeah, just give him a chance, and if he doesn't do it, then get rid of him. Yeah, I think the two-way contract thing is is uh, probably the best way to go about it. Even if there was like a verbal agreement or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, all that BS, which obviously doesn't really mean shit. Um, you know, if you want to go by the honor thing, um, yeah, give him a two-way contract, like Dan. Uh, I'd love to have you, you know, whether you're lying or not, and say, uh, if you can come and come out and show me that you can uh, be a valuable 14th player or 14th forward um, on this, you know, and, and nothing more. You're not going to play in the top six. You're not going to play in the top top nine. Uh, you're not going to play on the top three lines at all. Uh, if at any, and you're not gonna, you're certainly not gonna see more than uh, 50 games. Um, I think that that's probably the best way to go about it. And if he says, uh, "No, I don't want that," well, then at that point, it's like, "All right, well, I don't know. If you want to be an assistant coach in Toledo or something, then you can do that." But um, I, I, yeah, like I don't see a use for it. Um, it just doesn't make any goddamn sense to me. Uh, that yeah. whole entire uh, narrative of uh, locker room players, um, I mean, if you're, if you're core veteran players and Vetterberg, Dasuk, and Cronwall aren't doing the job, well, then you've got bigger fucking fish to fry at right now. So, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's just that. So, uh, you know, whatever. I, th- I I just think it's an unnecessary thing to even be talking about right now. But, I mean, here we are. Yeah, at the risk of sound making this sound like an echo chamber, I, I really don't have any good arguments for bringing Cleary back into the NHL fold. And if he's not gung-ho about going to Grand Rapids and, you know, couldn't we sign him to some sort of tryout agreement that he'll yeah yes that, if that I mean you yeah don't you wouldn't that wouldn't even register as one of the fifty contracts wouldn't it I would essentially sign him to a pro- professional tryout contract mm-hmm. uh, a PTO and then um, tell him hey come fucking earn your way. Uh, and if he doesn't, then offer him a, a deal in Grand Rapids. Say, you can go down, you can have a Jeff Hogan deal. Um, you know, Jeff Hogan's getting old. He's not going to be there forever. <laughs> I'm sure Ken Holland would never be caught dead saying this to Dan Cleary, but um, that is exactly what I would do. I would just say, hey, I mean, times are changing, buddy. Um, it's It's not the old days anymore. It's not the glory days anymore where you were one of our valuable playoff assets. No, we need to start finding players who can do that. Because it's like, ultimately, if we need a 14th forward, um, I mean, if Dan Cleary's on the roster, that is potentially taking away from players like, I mean, I don't know, you take your pick. Uh, I mean, that could be Mitch Callahan, or I don't like him. Ferraro. Ferraro is the big one. Ferraro, Mitch Callahan. the 14th forward, you, you want a guy there who is going to, if he gets in the lineup, it's going to make a case to stay in it. Clearly, right, exactly. 
you know, it shouldn't be, yeah. it shouldn't, yeah, it shouldn't be one of those situations where 20 minutes before the game, the 14th forward is announced on the fourth line and you go, God fucking damn it. It shouldn't be like that. It should be like, no. all right, fine, let's, let's go for it. No, your 13th and 14th forward should be young guys who are around an NHL dressing room, kind of learning how that works and everything, getting into games here and there at, to either spell players or, you know, due to injury. And when they get in, they inject some some life into the right. jump into it. That's what like that Ferraro would be perfect in that role. I'd actually like to see Ferraro play more, but that's an entirely different subject. You think? But right, Dan Cleary's he's done. Uh, you know, God, he did a lot for Detroit. He was a key part of the '08 run. Um, I loved his goal against uh, Anaheim in '09, putting them out. His uh, he knocked out Phoenix. I mean that behind the goal line goal against Phoenix. Yeah. I mean, he's he scored some great goals for Detroit. He was a good foot soldier for them. It, it's time to move on. If he can, if he can make it, great. But if he can't, bye bye. I mean, he's not going to be able. Here's a question for each of you because this is one of the things that keeps getting brought up on the 14th forward. The idea of it's better for the guy to play every night in Grand Rapids than it is for him to be a healthy scratch in Detroit. And uh, we see that a lot. But I want to get down to the actual root of it. Because just like Graham just said, you're in the locker room, you're with the guys, you're fighting for your spot, um, and you're watching NHL games when you're not playing. How many games in Detroit equals... Well, Seventy-six uh, games in Grand Rapids. I I don't I don't know the yeah, answer to that exactly, but I guess the whole playing in Grand Rapids is more important than if you're Dylan Larkin and you're playing once every five games in Detroit. It's probably better for you to be playing every night in Grand Rapids. If you're Landon Ferraro, <laughs> right. you should be the 14th forward. If you're mm-hmm. Yoko Anderson, who shouldn't even be on this team next year, you're better off being the 14th forward. Yurko's better off being with Detroit than he is with Grand Rapids. Polkin is better being with Detroit than Grand Rapids. It's just, mm-hmm. if if it's a guy who's like nine, eight, 17, 18, 19, 20, and they're not playing every night in Detroit, then put him in Grand Rapids. But, yeah. you know, by this point, Ferraro's is what he is. Going to Grand right. Rapids yeah. isn't going to do him yeah. shit. Yeah, he's not going to get better in Grand Rapids playing every night than he is now. If he's been he's been playing at Grand Rapids for three years. He's hit right. his ceiling there. He needs to go up to the NHL because it's not even just watching. He's also practicing against NHL players. Uh so yeah. you know, you're and you're practicing every day. The the skill level even a, even the skill level of an NHL practice versus an AHL game, there's a difference. I mean it's, it's Yeah. It's, so you Jeff nailed it. It's, he's absolutely right. Dylan Larkin, That's you know, right. he should not be the 14th forward. He needs to play every night because he needs to get used to the AHL. Anthony Manta right. needs to get used to the AHL still because he only played three quarters. See, of the Manta's a, a question for me that I was going to lead directly into that. Sorry, Graham, go ahead and finish that thought. Why is it okay? But the the young guys who are just coming out of either first year college like Larkin or or juniors, they need to if they're not one of the elite prospects, they need that one or two years, at least one year, if not two, in the AHL just to to learn a little bit before being brought up. Right. Yeah, okay, it's definitely a six, six, six in one hand, half a dozen in the other kind of situation. 
because on the hand you got Ferraro who, you know, what more does he have to prove at the AHL level? Same with Yurko. Uh, same with Polkinen. He's done everything there is to do for him at his dealing. And then guys like Larkin, Mansa, um, I'd even, you know, ask to see you. Um, you know, Tyler those Bertuzzi. kinds of guys. Tyler Bertuzzi is another one. Um, what They have more to prove. They have more development to be done. Um, do I think that Landon Ferraro can be developed more uh, into more of a dynamic two-way forward at the AHL level? I mean, maybe a little bit, but at this point, it's like, why not have that spell player at your discretion and your disposal, um, you know, 82 games out of the year, basically? Well, and, and, uh, yeah, he's going to learn more in at this rate. He's going to his learning is going to be accelerated at the NHL level now than it is at the AHL level. Like he, like you say, he could still right. continue to grow, but what he's going to learn and how he's going to get better is not nearly as significant if he's stuck in the AHL playing against AHL competition night in and night out versus if he's playing right. in, in the NHL, even if he's just practicing. Because practicing, he can be around those players and he can watch how they practice. He can be involved in the in the, the drills and the scrimmages, and he can see firsthand what it takes to get better at what he does. Mm-hmm. And just maybe thinking outside the box here, maybe not. This isn't crazy that crazy, but I mean, assuming Franz, you know, I don't know the exact numbers of the forwards and who's where right now at the moment, but assume Franz is not playing. And and Weiss is bought out or something. You know, your thirteenth forward is that Ferraro, and then that fourteenth spot maybe it's it's you use that to rotate in guys like a Larkin or a Mantha or a Bertuzzi, and it's like okay, great. Larkin comes yeah. out, plays a few games. If he sticks, if not, then you send him back down. You can bring Mantha up. Mantha gets a chance to show what he can do. You know, you know, get sit Drew Miller one night, or you know, if if, if you have a Yurko who's struggling and. He, He's not earning his playing time still. He sits for a night, and you play a Bertuzzi in there or something. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah, see, go ahead. Here's the, my concern about about Mantha and that uh, the thought of, of how many games, you know, is, is enough. Um, Mantha struggled with the transition from the Q up to the AHL. Uh, part of that was he had, like, the very worst time for a broken leg, but there's also... Like, he went from being a big fish in a small pond into a much bigger pond. And so we're right. waiting on him to transition from to be a, a big fish in the AHL pond. Is it better for Manta to go through that transition again when he moves up from the AHL to the NHL? Or is this, the, is this a case where we could risk um, playing, keeping him with a big club, playing him for, like, at least thirty games and more if, if he's if he's actually good. The transition is okay, you got a taste of the AHL. Now here's a taste of the NHL, sink or swim buddy. Are we in a big danger of completely burning or turning Manta into a bust by doing that? Nah. It's just if he shows you something. I mean if he gets a ch- if he's playing with Daxuk and Zetterberg on a line in training camp and he lights it up and he gets plays well in some preseason games and it's like, all right, fine. But if he looks like dog shit, then I don't know. It's not worth him just sitting there the whole time. Is it? No, 
It's not. Well, like I said, like, how many it, games would it be worth to to have him basically be with the big club all season? More than thirty. I mean, right? I would. I mean, I don't know. Like honestly, here's the thing: if we're gonna go with that route, like if we're gonna go with that way of thinking, um, then you absolutely need to have that sort of state of mind with other players too. In my opinion, like obviously you've got uh, Manta who struggled, who struggled to come over, which is fine. I mean, we say he struggled, and he did. You know, he's he's a guy coming off who was scoring like how many did he score? Like eighty-one goals in his last year in the in juniors uh, through the playoffs and in the regular season. Um, Eighty goals in eighty-one games. Yeah, exactly. So he was a a goal per game player, which is really good. Uh, And you know, he we all say he had a disappointing season, but it's like in in reality, he had a. He did fine in terms of point production um, coming off of a, a semi-serious injury. You know, if you look at Yurko's rookie season, you look at Tatar's rookie season. Um, yeah, he was a real comparable to Tatar. But, I mean, you said he that you, have to, you do that with other players are like that, but what other players are like that? Um, Athanasiu is, like, he he's probably ready to, to start stepping up, but I don't mind keeping him in Grand Rapids for another season and then bringing him up the season after that. Um, Larkin, I kind of already won on the roster. I'll I'll burn a ton of people Ooh. off the roster to, to Ooh, make yeah, all this shit course. happen, I guess. But I think we all want like, Larkin I can't, on the roster. Yeah, like I, I don't know who else among the Griffins kind of fits that, that mold of what exactly uh, I, I think with Mantha. Sproul did last year, and I mean, he couldn't even get into a playoff game this year. I mean, he did get into a few, and he looked okay, but... Like, yeah, man, I think, I think, I don't know, I think that maybe that was some of Blashill's bad tendencies coming out, because, like, he definitely, I don't know, when Sproul played, and this is a different subject, we don't really want to get into it, but I think that Sproul probably should have been playing. He looked pretty good when he was when he was playing in the uh, against Utica, in my opinion. But um, uh, anyways, I, I don't know. I think that if you're going to say that Mantha needs to be 30 games with the big club, um, I mean, why not think that a player like Tyler Bertuzzi needs to see 30 games with the big club or something like that? Because well, Tyler Bertuzzi I mean, well, is not going to not looking like a top six forward. Tyler Bertuzzi yeah. will play for the Red Wings. Well, he does right now. I mean, he was supposed to be performing like Grand Rapids, right. he does. But the, the, Tyler Bertuzzi's prospect ceiling and, and uh, you know, kind of what he is before. We, we take out what he did in the playoffs, which was incredible, but what he just, what you think of when you think of Tyler Bertuzzi, he's just, he's a, he's a prospect. Anthony Mantha was the prospect that the Wings had until Larkin came along. So, right. well, you know, there's yeah. that's and that's the thing. I think if you start going down the path of, well, you know, if we need to bring up Mantha, we need to bring up Bertuzzi, and we need to bring up Larkin, and, and now you're now you're a rebuilding team because you've got three twenty or younger year olds in your lineup. I mean, let me yeah. remember that could, which could work, but I mean, you know, historically that doesn't work. Not unless you're talking about top one, two, or three picks. And at, yeah. at some point, everyone's going to get injured anyway. So, 
Well, yeah, it's, it's you know, just the, like, the good players are all old, so yeah, right. they will. I think the I difference know, is, yeah, it's that Mantha's ceiling, he's basically supposed to be uh, the next Franzen or better, and we currently have a problem with our current Franzen, uh, where Bertuzzi is basically the next Abdulkader, which is, we have just fine Applicator right now. We've got great Applicator right now. Or Bertuzzi can be right. Shaw. He could be our version of Andrew Shaw. How about if he's just uh, our version of Brandon Gallagher? Applicator's better than Shaw. Fuck <laughs> off. Uh, I, I will say, though, and we really won't have to worry about this discussion with Mantha anyway because he's going to get traded. Because he's <laughs> the Wings are willing to oh, entertain right, offers yeah. for Mantha and or the first-round draft pick. Yes, yeah, someone told us that he was getting traded before from their sources before the sources even met to talk about trading. Weird. Did they make that yeah. up? No way. No. Uh, I say this: there, Ken Holland should be willing to trade right. pretty much anybody on the Red Wings roster or in Grand yeah. Rapids right now. Out, the only prospect I would say is untouchable right now is Larkin. That's it. Right. No, Absolutely. I would not trade. And even, even, even Larkin, I would trade Larkin for the right return. Like, you're talking, like, a top, a number one defenseman. If somehow that deal magically appeared. You get Duncan and they, and somebody Keith said, for Dylan Larkin, yeah, straight up. If somebody said one. Duncan Keith or P.K. Subban or uh, Eric Carlson or somebody like that and said, you know what, you give us Larkin, we'll give you P.K. Subban. Yeah, I'm not turning that down. Not at all. But, you know, it, it got overblown. And first of all, you have to consider the source. It's Damian Cox, so whatever. Right. But, no. Absolutely. Ken Holland, and I mean, he hedged it. We'll probably talk about this, but yeah, he should be willing to deal Anthony Mantha because Anthony Mantha should not be an untouchable prospect right now. But it's just, what is the return? We've talked about this with regards to like Pavel Datsuk. Pavel Datsuk to me is not untouchable. What he would fetch in a return would, in my mind, would have to be so astronomically high that there's just no feasible way for them to ever trade him without it blowing right. back in his face. But right. I, I feel like the same is probably true with Mantha. You know, if he is going to trade him, he's going to have to bring back more than Dion Phaneuf, which is, of course, it's the reported trade. Phaneuf, White, right. and, and Detroit's first for Phaneuf. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I mean, I've always had the outlook that every player on any team, well, on the Red Wings, at least, um, is tradable. Uh, if the price is right, of course. Um, I think that um, a player like Larkin would be tradable in a situation where it gets you a, and, and I I mean it when I say this, uh, a defenseman or, you know, forward, whatever, who is who has an extremely high ceiling, who is literally just entering his prime or starting to get it, you know, obviously like going into his prime or something or, you know, in, you know, whatever. Um, I don't know if I'd say a Duncan Keith because Duncan Keith is starting to get a little bit older, but um, I, I would say that any player is tradable given the right price. Um, Mantha is definitely one of those players right now. Um, I think that his first season in the AHL probably deflated his value a lot. But at the same time, 
it doesn't nix his value. Uh, it still kind of keeps his value up there, you know, scoring 81 goals in 81 games. Um, but the the thought of trade of Ken Holland trading, and this is just me spitballing uh, off of the rumors, trading the 19th overall pick in 2015 and Anthony Mantha for a player like Dion Phaneuf, I would grab a pitchfork and I would go nope. down to the Joe Luce Arena and start stabbing the doors. Like, I Is, would scream. Would that, March on Ken Holland's office. Would that deal be yeah, worse like, than that rumored Tatar and Nyquist at first for Bo Meester deal that got turned down way back in the day or whatever it was? What do you mean? Are you saying, yeah. like, why, I, like just it's it would probably still right on the same. It could be on the same. I mean, on the same value, pretty much. Realistically, I mean, like the yeah. Jay Bolmeister at the time was like, yeah, let's, that would be a good guy to get. You know, but of course now it's Tatar like Tatar Nyquist at the time where Tatar Nyquist would there now. Right, but Jay Bolmeister at the time for the Red Wings would have been like, oh my God, we got Jay fucking Bolmeister. This is great. And now well, when I think about it, I'm like, I know, but it's now that I think about it, it's like Jay Bolmeister. I mean, dude, kind of fucking. Yeah, but that was after he got the St. Louis stink on him. St. Louis just makes everybody suck. Well, yeah, whatever, but that's but... I think if Mantha gets traded, bottom line is, it, I'm not going to be comfortable with the trade. I think it's yeah, possible it's he gets traded. Be... I think it's possible he gets traded in a, in a deal for Phaneuf, um as kind of a counterweight to the negative value of uh, Stephen Weiss. But I kind of don't want to adjust to that until I actually see it happen. Like, I'm not confident it'll happen. I'm just uh, – I think it – there's enough in there to, to make me worry about it. But, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I'll, put, I'll give it like a G2. The thing is, and I've said it multiple times, the thing I've said it multiple times is that, um, sure, we can trade for enough. That'd be great, but absolutely 100% another contract and not just a prospect. Um, an NHL contract has to come off the books, more specifically a defensive contract. So we're talking a Jakob Kindle or a Brendan Smith, one of those guys who are on the cusp of just basically being a bottom, a bottom pair guy or a bottom four guy, um, one of those contracts needs to go, and one of those contracts can't be named Danny DeKaiser uh, and uh, Danny DeKaiser, basically. I mean, those are, I mean, and, I mean, I guess you take your pick at Xavier Olet or Alexi Marchenko, I mean, whatever, but those aren't guys who are automatically right now on the depth chart. Um, okay, we got a question from yeah. the uh, the post. Okay. And then I want to just start talking about the draft. Um, LA Wing, what are the chances and costs for a trade of, for, with Chicago for Seabrook? Um, I want to mm. get in first with this to say, fuck no, I think Seabrook is on a cliff. I, I don't think that yeah. – I think Chicago is going to get good value yeah. for him, and I don't want to be the team that gives him because I think that he's going to – as soon as he gets away from the Blackhawks and their system, he is going to suck. I well, is my opinion. Yeah. I agree. And he's a year away from unrestricted free agency too. So you're basically you're if you trade for him in this off season, you're basically unless you sign him to an extension, which would be stupid, you're you're getting a rental. Right. Um, I do I it. Think that, right. Yeah, of course. Um I think that 
I think that uh, I see him going to a team like, take your pick from one of the, I mean, the first team that pops into my mind is Calgary, uh, just because they took that stupid Brandon Bollock trade. Um, uh, I, I, I don't know. I feel like it'll just end up being an overpayment. I think he is one of those players who is just uh, shrouded in a good system and other really, really freaking good players. Um, yeah, no, Brent Seabrook is an absolute no for me. Um, maybe I give him a look in free, free agency, but I know that when if, if he hits free agency, he's going to be one of those, like, six, seven million dollar dollars Like, so... No thanks. Yeah, I, I think Chicago is going people. to get. I think Chicago is going to get a pretty decent prospect for him, a kind of mid prospect mm-hmm. and a pick. I think like mm-hmm. uh, I don't. Know, I'm just totally spitballing here. Um, like a Sproul, Edomwell, and like a second. Yeah, yeah. No, that that's pretty much what I had in my mind. Right, because the the thing about it is when Chicago is dealing these players, they're dealing from the position of weakness because they're the ones who have to get under the cap eventually. Right. So it's if you're if I'm a smart GM, if it comes to Chicago, the first thing I'm doing is targeting Brandon Sod with an offer sheet. And then yep. you wait and see what they do. Either I think they're gonna sign him to an extension personally, because I think he's proven himself to be too valuable but I don't think he's going to get one of those bridge deals that are so popular because if I was his agent and Stan Bowman said, hey, we'd like to sign it, you know, for like a two, three years, maybe like three, four million a year, if I'm the agent, I laugh in his face and say, did you not just watch this playoff season? He was one of your best forwards throughout the entire playoffs. You're going to pay him yeah. like that. And say, or, you know what? Maybe there are other teams out there willing to pay because, quite honestly, I'd give up four first-round picks for Brandon Todd as, as an offer sheet. I would absolutely because four. Well, that's, that's what that would the compensation would be depending if you're how high you go, right? I would give up four million dollars. Right. So, is that eight? Is it eight I, million? I don't know. Yeah, it's like eight point four. I do it for Doug. Uh, well, I don't know if I do four. I I wouldn't do it. But with three, I mean, I'd sign, I would sign Brandon Todd to $6 million a year. I think because he's so young. I, yeah, I think yeah he's, he he's is young. young. And he's a possession monster. And he's, he's only going to get better. So I would, I yeah. would target Todd. And then from there, if they signed him to an extension, then I would just wait and wait for them to have to make, like, Nick Letty-type deals where they have to basically give their players away, like Johnny Boychuk in Boston. Wait for them oh, to, to be in such such a position that they have no choice but to trade, you know, Brent Seabrook for a pick. Right. Because if they don't, then they're not cap compliant, and they'll, you know, whatever the penalties are for that. Yeah, but I do think they'll dump Seabrook, and I do think they'll dump Sharp and probably Bickle. Mm-hmm. All three of those guys are going to be gone uh, before they let Sod walk. Although if you make it six million dollars, then they may have to. Uh, they may be forced. When Oduya will leave yeah. too, but he's an unrestricted free agent. Somebody will pick him yeah, up. Yeah, for... he's a future Red Wing. Yeah, I, I, uh, yeah I've. I've uh, I have that feeling. I have that feeling. Sorry. You know what? A one-year deal. Mm-mm. I, I could do a one-year deal for Oduya. Nope. Wouldn't do it. 
I just, I mean, you've got, you've got Ulet and you've got Marchenko. I, uh, that's a completely different debate. But um, going back to what we were talking about before, um, yeah, I mean, Saad. I mean, I would, I would definitely. I don't know. Three first round picks, though. I mean, it depends on. It, it really depends on what the 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 status quo of the team is going to be. I mean, um, Brandon Saad is obviously young. Uh, he's a guy who can uh, change a lot. But I mean, when you think well, about it, we don't know where the Red Wings are going to. We we don't know where the Red Wings are going to be in three years. I don't know where they're going to be in two years. I don't know where they're going to be next year. Um, well, that's Detroit. that's the thing. If if you feel like your yeah, window is right. closing with with Tatsuk and Zetterberg, and you feel like yeah. your young kids are ready to take the next step, bringing Brandon Saad in is actually uh, could be a signal to the young guys. Hey, we're giving you some help for the young guys and for the old guys, saying, Hey, we're taking the load off of you a little bit, so you can just yeah. go out. You know, you don't have to play 20 minutes a night anymore because now we've got this, you know, this this new kid that has come in who can take over first-line minutes and play. And, oh, by the way, Nyquist and Tatar and everybody, hey, look at this, you know, look at this great player we're giving you to be a potential line mate. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. I mean, I'm definitely, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't, like, fucking flip my table and be pissed off, but I would certainly at first be like, oh, God, really? But, I mean, if Brennan Todd could be that impact player, then great. But, um, I mean, anyways, uh, what do we got? What else do we got going on here? I mean, we, we, we talked about the Anthony Mantha rumor. Um, you know, obviously this all happened. Let's talk about the draft. The draft. Let's talk about the draft. Let's talk about what's going on here in, like, two weeks, basically, which what? I will be at. Yeah, let me ask you a question because I am not a draft person right. at all. Never yeah. have been, never really will be. It's just not my thing. So let me ask yeah. the question. Wings are picking, okay. what, 19th, right? Yes. 19th. 19th. What do the Wings do with that 19th pick? Do they, draft the player. Take, a def- do they take a defenseman? Do they go for a defenseman? Or do they take the best player left that's that's still available. And from everything I've heard, this is a really deep draft in the first right. round. So right. do well, they here's the, take another forward yeah. or do they go defense? Best here's the thing. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, and this is my opinion. Anytime you're picking from 15th to 30th, you take the best player available. Um, well, and, I mean, anytime in the first, I should correct myself, anytime in the first round, you should always take first player, uh, best player available, um, because obviously that's when the best talent is going to be available. Um, the best known talent, of course. Um, I think that that is what Ken Holland is going to do. That is what he said he was going to do when he spoke when he spoke at the uh, what was it game five at the uh, called it game five against Toronto and Grand Rapids. Um, he said that he's going to take the best player available and that he is not going to take a goalie. So um, I think that if the best player available is happen, happening to be a defenseman like Jeremy Waugh 
for Oliver Killington, uh, who are two players who could absolutely be available, even like a Jakob de Bull, um, then, yeah, that'd be great. But um, I've seen, I mean, mock drafts are something that you want to take with a grain of salt. And uh, obviously I read them because I like draftology and I enjoy the NHL draft and scouting and everything. But um, if any of you read uh, the production line mock draft for the Red Wings, um, they had us taking Nick Merkley, uh, who is a center. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be mad at that. Uh, You can never have too many center prospects. And it's the same with defense. You can never have too many of them. Um, I mean, I, I just think the the, uh, the plan should be with the first-round pick, you should take the best player available if you cannot trade it down to grab something else. Now, there's been a lot of questions, should the Red Wings try and trade up? Because Arizona obviously has reported that their third round, their third overall pick in the first round is available. Um now, while I think that's obviously to the, um, like, uh, casual fan that that's a sexy option, um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of reserved with that because if you're going to go up that far and you're going to deal up those assets, obviously what you want to do is you want to get a player, if you're going to be picking in the top three, you want a player who's going to step in literally next year and is going to um, be a, a, basically a game changer for you. And what is the one thing that Detroit needs right now is a defense. Um, in this draft, while it's really deep and there's a lot of talent in it, um, players, the top defensemen are Noah Hannafin, uh, Ivan Provorov, uh, and uh, what's the other guy? I can't even name him. But uh, those are two guys who while they're really good, I still see them as project players who need to be developed. They're not like Aaron Ekblad, in my opinion, who can step in and be like a monster on the top pair, like he did with Florida. Um, And in in that case, I don't think, I think that the price is going to outweigh what, what the expectation is, Um, you know, because trading up to get to the third overall pick, uh, you might as well be trading for Oliver Ekman Larson at that point, in my opinion. So um, that's just my my take. So if that it, with that, if you can't trade down uh, with one of the teams who have multiple first-round picks and second-round picks, then just take the best player available. And just if you can't make a, a player for a second-round pick trade happen, just bite the bullet, take your third-round pick from Dallas, and just go with it. Hey, guys, how are you? Good. Yeah, 19 to 3 is an absurd jump. Yeah, that's a, that's a big jump. And, I mean, you're obviously top, you're jumping into a one of a, a prime lottery pitch. Um, you're going to be spending multiple assets. You're going to be spending not only prospects, not only a draft, a first-round draft pick or multiple draft picks, you're going to be spending NHL-ready players like a Tatar or a Nyquist, in my opinion. And that's just a projection. That's what I think what would, what would happen. Yep. 
It also yeah, and at that point, it's just not worth it. first gets you in the door, and it doesn't even, like, start that draft happening. Right. And, I mean, you could move a guy I mean, like Sogoroff took... or Hannafin up, but, I mean, are they going to pee a tie? Are you going to really throw Sogoroff uh, or Hannafin into your top pair and expect him to be um, to change the stars of your, your team? Uh, I mean, if you are, then, I mean, good for you. If I'm going to spend the really ashes to get him, I'm going to throw him in the front on the top pair. <laughs> Well, yeah, but yeah, I'm not gonna realistically expect it to uh, to work, but I don't know. I hate trading up at the draft. It's often not worth it. I mean, <clears throat> I don't know. Just look at the. Uh, this is a small one, but when we traded up to get to uh, Dominic Turgeon's pick, was that really necessary? Not really, because Turgeon would have been available. That. Yeah, Turgeon would have absolutely been available where we were at, and we spent—I mean, we spent two picks on it. That was a—that was a stupid trade. While it didn't go down as a stupid trade because you know it's a third-round pick, um, you know, I—I I, people who who follow drafting and and all that and scouting can see that as to be kind of a questionable pick, so or a questionable trade, so. Trading up in the draft, more often than not, not really worth it unless you're a team who can afford it, and the Red Wings can't really afford it right now. I, I think they should draft the, the Killington kid. If he's available, I would absolutely love that because I'm extremely high on Killington. I think he's a great player. He's he like Carlson. If you can't get McDavid or Eichel, you should get Killington. <laughs> I am yeah. on the lot train. Yeah, he he's got skating skills like Eric Carlson. Um, you know, obviously he's not an NHL ready player, but you know what? I mean, what first round pick in the Red Wings history? You know, recent history has been so. As long as we don't end up with another Kindle, I'm cool. So do they walk up? As long yeah, as we don't need Yakubal then. No, JJ already said it. That was Babcock's fault. So. Yeah. Uh, Babcock's gone. Uh, all the roadblocks for Kindle being good again. He might are, be a twenty-goal uh, defenseman. Who knows? He might be a twenty-goal defenseman never... next year. If he never finds his game again, it's like this Babcock ruined him before he left town. Mm-hmm. Just like Babcock forced Ken Holland to sign Stephen Weiss to a five-year deal, even though he knows he knew he wasn't going to be around uh, for three of those. It was evil master plan. Is he forcing him to re-sign Dan Cleary again? Yeah. <laughs> Can we sign for... Wants to know how we feel about. Don't give, him, don't give him a no trade clause and trade him to Toronto. Or just yeah, let him hit free agency. What do we got next? Toronto. What do we got next? Uh, Octopus Connoisseur asked about how we feel about signing Carl Soderberg. No, nah, don't do it. We, we don't got room for him. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, he's a bottom six forward. He's Shea. 
Shane, but a little older, a little bigger, and a little more experienced. Might be a little better, but it, it, there's no room for him in the end. Yeah, no but Shane has depth perception, and Soderbergh doesn't, so Soderbergh sucks. Yeah. Anybody who has vision in two eyes is automatically better than Soderbergh. <laughs> yep. If he was so, here, whatever. He's Carl Soderbergh. There are literally no forwards in the free agency crop that should that re- the Red Wings should be targeting, even though for some reason they're apparently looking at Bolesky, which is well, just – I don't know. If you're looking at a guy like Bolesky, that free agency is after the draft happens, and in theory maybe you're unloading some assets at the draft, and you might have a need for a forward come free agency. But right now, with the team's status quo and no major trades happen, no real forwards. I I think all your forward improvement has to come from within. Yeah, no, I think that's a good good plan. Unless, Unless you're unloading assets, sure, but... As, and literally, as we stand right now, like with the roster we have, there sh- there should be no interest in the forward free and like free agency, like forward, like at all. Just I just don't. Unless see we it. successfully offer sheet sod. Well, yeah. Well, we I'm talking about unrestricted free agency, but still yeah, rather have done. Right. Well, it wouldn't matter anyway because there's so many like tiers that we can't even play around in because we don't have that third round pick next. Yeah, exactly. We just lose JJ. JJ? No. Oh. Can you hear me? Yeah. It sounded like you <laughs> got JJ, are you alive? No, I just got really sad about everything. And well, don't be sad because Dylan Larkin's going to make the Red Wings this year. And we're yeah, all but I have to wait months. like 48 hours before we can talk about buying out Weiss. And, geez, everything sucks. Do you? Would you actually <laughs> buy him out? Yeah. Eat that was at one point two five or one point six five or whatever. Ah, it's, it's a six year buyout period. It, ta- it caps off at like two point six million one year. It's generally one point six seven million. I don't know. So the caps um, vary. I don't, I'm not up to date on my exact technical. Yeah, just oh. give it another try. See if Blashill can make him not suck, and then you do it next. If, if you can wait one year, then your buyout period is only four years instead of six. I don't know. I yeah. might as well just. I'm okay with. I'm okay with whatever they do. If they want to buy him out this year, fine. If you want to give him another chance, whatever. He just better not suck. Um, trade him for whatever you can get. That's great too. Um, just <laughs> do do whatever is going to work. That's that's what I want to have happen. I feel right. like if Franz if Franzen plays, you have to buy out Weiss. If Weiss is back, then Franzen needs to long term IR forever. I don't feel like both those guys can be on this roster just because of numbers and taking away playing time from younger guys. Right. But I don't actually think Franzen's going to play this year. So, but that's just me. Yeah, or he'll play until November. Right. Eventually. So, what do do we got? Like 11 minutes left, 10 minutes left here? Yeah, we gotta get the Kyle special announcement. Kyle, you want to take that? Or you want me to to give that to you? JJ, you do it. All right. Well, I just wanted to uh, to tell everybody out there that uh, congratulations to Kyle, whose tireless dedication since he's come on. Uh, we've given him a promotion. You may notice this 
on the blog masthead if you know where to find it or if you're checking it every some single people know where to find it for some reason um Kyle has been uh, promoted to uh, to gentleman so it's the very highest <laughs> honor you can he's, he's on par with with me and Grant well he's slightly below both of us as we're older wiser oh whatever okay. but congrats Kyle and and thank you very much for for everything you've done for for Wim over the last uh how over there, how long you've been around? Uh, I think it's like a year and a half or something. Yeah. I mean, well, it's, yeah. Uh, it's an honor. It's an honor. I mean, uh, two years ago, I was just, uh, I mean, I was just some asshole who hated you guys because you guys were assholes. And then you converted me into one of your assholes. And uh, now here I am. Yeah, important and, to know, uh, we are still assholes. No, no, I was saying, I was going to say, now here I yeah. am today. As one of the assholes, um, so this is a uh, this is great. I'm a uh, a privileged asshole, and um, I don't know. I couldn't be more honored, more excited, and uh, I look forward to you know the draft, which I will be there doing uh, doing coverage for Wim and for SB Nation, and uh, obviously the um, training camp, as long as they still want to let me in which I'm sure they will because I'm awesome. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I, it's great. I, uh, you know, I love the community. I love our readers, uh, even the ones who want to call me um, a, a complete dumbass because of my opinions. But, you know, they're just whatever because my opinions are always right. And uh, that's just the way. So, um, you know, my, my thank you goes to Jeff, to, to JJ, to Graham, to Michelle, uh, Mich- especially Michelle, because Michelle is the one who uh, kind of pushed for me to become uh, even just a staff writer. So, um, <clears throat> you know, it's uh, it's been a it's been fun, and uh, it's it's only going to get more fun from here. So, uh, whatever. I tell you what, the Red Wings better win a fucking Stanley Cup while I'm a gentleman, because if they don't, then. I'm going to flip a fucking table on the screen, so. Can you make sure you're recording that on your phone if, if you do that? Um, yeah, I will. I will. Or I'll at least That'd have someone else do it. <laughs> Did we, I mean. All right, you guys want to, like, go it for the last covered, seven minutes? Yeah, we covered everything. We got the draft. We got, you know. Oh, you know what we didn't cover? Who is the better dynasty, the Red Wings or the Chicago Blackhawks? Well, the Red Wings. Yeah. Yes, the Red Wings. Yeah, exactly. The Red Wings. The Red Wings won three full cups in six years. The Hawks won two and a half cups. And the Hawks mm-hmm. never won back-to-back. They weren't good enough to yep. do two years in a row. Yeah. yeah. you got to win back-to-back. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, so I mean, congrats to Chicago, but sorry, you're just not as good. Yeah. That's nope. what happens. It's a shame. Exactly. Sorry, okay. bro. We just lose everybody okay. or everybody just shut up. <laughs> I don't know. I was going to see if anyone had any final hockey-related thoughts. Um, don't sign Dan Cleary. Uh, make sure Dan, uh, Dylan Larkin is on the roster come day one. And uh, let's go Red Wings. Welcome officially to the longest portion of the hockey calendar. <laughs> yeah. season. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, y'all are going to hate the lightning eulogy, just a heads up. Why? Uh, right. People are not going to like I, I, it. It's going to be great. I'll be yeah. one of the commenters. I'll make an anonymous commenting All right. account. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cool. So, wow, that JJ, Good job. you got to you got to sing us out. All right, I'll I'll hit play and see if it'll stop. You have the studio. <laughs> Loud as shit. Like, <laughs> Alright, so for JJ and Graham and Joseph, the silent one, and Kyle, the newest gentleman, uh, this is Ben Winging at Motown Radio. Thanks for listening. Go Red Wing. Suck it, everybody else. Motown.